If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be smelly and stealthy, and here's why. In this episode, we find some answers to, have we been underusing goblins this whole dang time? And can we roleplay better goblins by building a stronger culture? And how can we ensure the sight of a lone goblin inspires panic in a party? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. Today, we're talking about goblins. I think <laughs> you've called me a goblin many times throughout our life. Yeah. Well, you are. You scurry around on all fours and hide in dark places. Yeah. Surprise you. Yeah. Smelly. Yeah. Ugly. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well, whether you want to role play a goblin or absolutely decimate your party with them, this episode is going to have a little something for you. Playing a goblin as your character. I think there's something here for you. Oh, yeah. We're going to get deep into goblins. And there's just so much that I feel feel like we've always been underutilizing. Yeah, they're played as comic relief a lot and almost like the dumb, weak monster. Well, they're the first level threat. Like every adventurer in the world in the first three levels of their adventuring career is going to encounter a goblin. Yeah. And usually <laughs> I would agree with that. They're played as like dumb little bastards. Yeah. Like they have more in common with the three stooges <laughs> than they do with any kind of credible threat. Yeah, with monsters that live in the wild places of the earth. But I think we're here to discuss how they can be so much more. Like, if you just think about the concept of a goblin and transpose it into today, yeah, in our world, that would be terrifying. Goblins are truly one of the most frightening monsters you can have. And it's kind of weird that we've taken them to this humor place. Because, yeah, imagine at night, out your window, a goblin hunkered down, yellow eyes staring at you, crouched over, panting. Like, how much scarier can it get? There's five of them, and you can see their beady <laughs> little eyes shining out the bushes across the road. And you're just like, sweetie, we can't go get groceries tonight because there's a pack of goblins waiting for us to leave the safety of our house. Yeah, or maybe ever again leave the safety of our house. <laughs> and look at that, they have wolves. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like it just keeps getting worse. So what we're really talking about is goblins should be more akin to the mutants in the hills have eyes. Yeah. But I mean, less uh, a few tough, irradiated mutants and more of stealthy little shits. But you could almost take that movie and just transpose it with goblins. Now, all of a sudden, you got a goblin adventure. Yeah, except like you said, they're everywhere. They're behind everything. So we want to make them a lot more interesting. And we want to help them stick around a while longer in your campaigns. To be a more meaningful threat and, you know, maybe even a part of the story, not just an introduction to fighting. <laughs> Here's a whole bunch of little idiots for you to just <laughs> mop up and feel like a real badass. Murder them all. Yeah, like if we're going to use them like that, 
it's like you're fighting a bunch of children. Yeah. When you play them as goofy little... Which I just want to say right now, before we get too deep into this, there is a part of me that does enjoy the comic relief goblin for a certain style of game. Oh, hell yes. Yeah. Like, we've played them extensively like this. Yeah. But in the spirit of Halloween coming up and also just looking at a goblin that I feel and I've personally underutilized so much in my DMing career. Yeah, for sure. You have. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for selling me out there. No problem. Well, we're going to start in the kinship camp where you're going to take a look at some cultural details that can make them a lot more interesting and a lot more fun to play. And then we're going to hop over to the strategy stateroom and take a look at their tactics and how we can better utilize them in an encounter. Perfect. Let's make them rich and nasty. This is Kinship Camp, where rich histories and diverse quirks are explored between weary adventurers around the safety of the fire. So if you're playing Dungeons and Dragons and you're not familiar with the goblin, weird, but that's okay. <laughs> we Where have you it. been? Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, here's a quick little recap just to get us all on the same page of goblin. We're looking at creatures that are normally neutral evil. They've got 15 armor class with a leather armor and a shield, which means they're, you know, they're right in the middle. They're averagely difficult to hit. Well, when you're thinking of low-level characters and monsters, you're usually picturing like a armor class of maybe 12 or something like that. But like 15 is nothing to bulk at, really. True. I mean, it kind of fits with their whole jumping around being stealthy vibe. And it does need to be a little bit higher to protect them because they only have seven hit points. They've got an average speed of 30 feet. They've got eight strength. They're not pumping iron. No. <laughs> well, I mean, they could, but it's not showing a lot of gains. <laughs> they True. need to get on some kind of supplement and really start to, you know, beefing up. Yeah. Or turn into a bugbear. They're stronger. Holy shit. You've just figured out that bugbears are... <laughs> Just goblins on creatine. <laughs> creatine creates hair in goblins. They're just sucking down those protein shakes yeah, a lot more. Totally. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. The advanced hair growth, higher aggression. <laughs> it makes so much sense. Yeah. They've got a dex of 14. This is their bread and butter. This is where all of their advantages come from. Got a constitution of 10 right down the middle. And then an intelligence of 10 as well. So this is obviously a lot higher than a lot of people play goblins as. And I yes. think this is one of those things that we need to draw a lot of attention to because 10 is an average human intelligence. If there is somebody in town that came up with a really good idea and goes, damn, look at this. Look what I made today. Well, there's a goblin in the goblin camp six miles away that's doing exactly the same thing. Absolutely. That's a good point. When you look at that as the average goblin intelligence, you're saying that goblin society is equal to human society in terms of intelligence. Exactly. Yeah. They got eight wisdom, so falling a little short in that department, but that's okay. And eight charisma, which can really just be attributed to the smell. Fair enough. But I mean, goblin to goblin, is their charisma much higher? So this is their goblin to human charisma. Ah, yes. That smell actually is a plus... 12. That's their deodorant. Yeah. That's their colognes and perfumes. They love it. 
They got stealth of plus six. This is their primary survival tactic, hide. And they've got dark vision up to 60 feet and a passive perception of nine. So one thing that we do want to highlight here, like you just said, stealthy, dodgy, hidey. They've got nimble escape, which is a really, really powerful ability. Now, this just says that the goblin can take a disengage or a hide action as a bonus action on each of its turns. Disengage or hide. Yeah, that's pretty huge. They can get out of combat. Like, they're using this every round. They're never standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with anybody. No. And if a goblin has a hide action as a bonus action any time they take a turn, that means that a hidden goblin has advantage on the players, and the players have disadvantage on them every turn. It's going to be so difficult to hit them, but we'll talk <laughs> more about that later. And they also come stock with a short bow. So this is a ranged weapon attack. Now, the only reason that we kind of bring this one up is that, as a reminder, the short bow's reach is 80 feet. It's actually, its full reach is 320 feet, but its within range is 80 feet, which means that those goblins can be a long way away. Like, only your caster has the range to hit them sometimes. Yeah, that's true. Now, keep in mind, if you're going to shoot above 80 feet and you're going to reach up to that 320-foot range, that imposes disadvantage. However, from a hiding vantage point, that imposes advantage, which means you're equaling these two things out. This goblin is really not taking that much of a detriment to hide on a cliff that's 180 feet away. Yeah, wow, interesting. That certainly beefs up the short bow. But now let's do what we usually do, and let's talk about their culture, because this is the only way that we can play more rich and better goblins with some values. Right, and I think this is an area that, like you said, we've fallen down before, is just skip over the values, skip over the culture, and just get to the stabbing. If you're unfamiliar, we have a resource on our webpage that is a whole culture creation resource. So if you're new to the podcast, thanks for joining us today. But also, you can find those resources at hookandchance.com, and you can follow along with all of these values. So let's kick it off. All right. So the first one I think they have is survival at the cost of courage. Absolutely. These little folks are total survivalists. Yeah, and I think this is a better way, in my mind, to say they're cowards. They are trying to survive in a world full of creatures that are more powerful than them. I don't call that cowardice, necessarily. No, that's just practicality. Yeah. The next is resourcefulness at the cost of vanity. And really what that means is they're MacGyvers. Oh, yeah. And this has been touched upon in the core books all about goblins in the Monster Manual that they are wonderfully talented engineers, trap layers, uh, animal handlers. Like, they've figured out how to survive in the world. Yeah. They are practical. It might not look pretty, but damn it, it works. Because they're using whatever resources they have at their disposal. They do not care about gold-plated or, you know, fancy-looking crap. They just need it to work. Absolutely. And I think we can take this a step farther if we want to. 
what if goblins, you know, see an item as valuable based on how hard it is to get? So I think in the books and in a lot of D&D games, we treat goblins as they crave gold and shinies, like a lot of the other creatures in D&D. Yeah. But I think this makes it a kind of an interesting twist to say, sure, gold is kind of valuable because it's pretty hard to get, but so is the beard of a king. <laughs> yes, I am lining my bedding with the beard of a king, yes. and that makes me a hell of a badass. Yeah. Well, you're exactly right. Like, we can leave gold to the kobolds let the kobolds have the gold the goblins are resourceful they want stuff that will help them they want functional practical and sometimes to adorn themselves because like you said look at this i got the beard of a king yeah all of the stuff that i'm decorated with was incredibly hard to get so you know i'm a hard-working badass little goblin yeah i dig it if you take it one step further again, you could even replace their leadership by strength, which I think is detailed in the books, the strongest leads. But again, I think that's true of way too many creatures. So instead, it could be leadership by whoever owns the hardest to get item. So that king's beard now denotes the leader of this group of goblins or the group of leaders who went and got. <laughs> I really dig that. Beard. What I love about that so much is that it creates this hard-to-understand value system. A system of, okay, is it the adventurer's rapier that is jewel-encrusted and very, very difficult to get because you had to kill that adventurer for their sword? Yeah. Or is it the king's beard that is more valuable <laughs> than the rapier? And so it creates this uh, economy that is as equally entertaining as it is hard to understand. Right. And even frightening because you could lean into the body parts. Like this is a wizard's pinky finger. <laughs> I and like that. That's more valuable than a pile of gold. Oh man. And to have that goblin be so, so proud. Like, do you know? Do you know? Yeah. Why I'm leader? <laughs> this pinky right here. <laughs> and still got the little bone sticking out of it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that really lets you play with what I've always thought of as goblins, which is they've got all kinds of random stuff. This gives a reason for it. But I think another thing to think about with all that random loot is that they don't have a ton of it. They've got a little bit that means a lot to them because I don't think the idea of goblins being hoarders leans into the idea of goblins being survivors. If you got to pick up and go, you're not going to take all your stuff. And if you're going to keep anything, it had better be useful. All right, finally moving on to the next value, we've got community at the cost of compassion. This feels like a bit of a no-brainer. You're gonna have to band together and there is no time for, you know, feeling for the weakest, which is why they have that caste system kind of laid out. And it is, hey, you know what? It's all about the tribe before it's about anything else. Like our community is above all yeah and the next step in our culture creator is creating beliefs that kind of back up these values and for that one i was thinking you know alone we are hunted killed and forgotten but together we thrive the world isn't kind and neither are we see this makes so much sense in the terms of like why are goblins so irate like why <laughs> are they just angry all the time why are they so vicious and so cruel. Because everything's cruel to them. 
I mean, when was the last time that somebody just walked up and embraced a goblin? <laughs> it doesn't happen. Yeah. And then we've got teamwork at the cost of personal responsibility. And I think this is kind of neat because I don't think goblins are individualists at all. They're always working as a part of that hunting group or whatever group they happen to be a part of. But it's all about that group. If the party were to ever capture a lone goblin, I would expect that goblin to be very out of sorts. Because you're absolutely right. Like, when do they not work as a group? A lone goblin knows that it's not even a match for, like, a dog. Yeah. There is not any hope that it's going to come out on top in any of the challenges that life throws at it. But as a group of six, holy shit, you actually have a formidable little team. Yeah. And I think this could also apply to, you know, accepting blame for things, which is kind of a goblin trait. It's like, no, no, this wasn't my fault. <laughs> this is the group's fault. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a part of the group. <laughs> and finally, we have adaptability at the cost of stability. They are never putting down hard, strong roots. Always on the go, always ready for the next threat. Yeah, I like goblins that live like that. Makes sense to me. Can I throw a couple of more of those philosophical beliefs at you? I'm interested. All right. Well, something that I think a goblin would say about survival is bravery is standing up when death is coming. So is being stupid. hundred <laughs> percent. Or about their economical resourcefulness, their MacGyverness. A stick or a sword, they both stab well, and one's on the ground. Yeah. Why expend all those resources? I could save that for something really valuable. I can club you to death with a rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or about their adaptability. I think their philosophy is, when a fire comes, you don't build a bigger wall. You run. Hmm. I like that one. We can kind of explore that a little bit more. How does that relate directly to, say, a group of adventurers finding a lair? Right. They are moving out the back if they can. Or, you know, if they think they have the numbers, obviously they're going to use that to their advantage. But Sure, but I think they would even abandon that place because it's burned now. Yeah. Like, they always have a backup plan. They have backup plans on their backup plans. Yeah. Because they don't intend to die. If any of their numbers are whittled down, that group is now weaker. Totally. I could see them even having false lairs. Like, they don't want anyone to ever find their lair. So maybe hunting parties have secondary lairs that are smaller that they do all their work and make it look lived in for the purposes of if any adventurers or exterminators, maybe they call them, come their way. <laughs> Yeah, totally. So they just ditch their false yeah, place. And even if one is captured or one is followed back to the base, they know if they have a tail that they go to the false camp. Yes, exactly. So that it can be burned, so that it, they can just ditch it because they can make another one very quickly. And I think every false lair would be riddled with traps if not the whole thing just being a ready-to-go trap Ooh. oh i would hate that because as the adventuring party you think that you have the drop on them like the ranger is using all of their tracking abilities <laughs> to find out where this goblin went and you did it amazing like the the ranger is just rolling 
18s, 20s. Man, we're right on his tail, and he's leading us right back to their lair so we can wipe those little bastards out. They've been hitting every trading caravan for weeks, and then they go into the fairly secluded and fairly quiet camp with only a few goblins. They peace out and leave you to their death traps. Yeah. They collapse the entrance, they have a little wiggle hole that they squeeze out of, and they flood the place and gas the place. and They come back in a week or two to loot your corpses. <laughs> yeah. These guys are diabolical. Yeah. So one of the things that stood out to me with the culture creator is the question, what world problem drives the culture to persist? And I got to thinking about how goblins see humans and other humanoids from society or civilization or whatever you want to call it in D&D. These folks are treating the wilderness as a place to be explored. But the more they explore, the more dangerous life becomes for goblins. Therefore, if goblins maintain an atmosphere of danger and fear in the wilderness, the safer it becomes for them. Like, for example, a goblin hunting party, if they come across a human hunting party... That may not go well for the goblins. Sure. So we need to show humans that any group that comes into the wilderness is going to be targeted and terrified and they're going to encounter the worst that we can throw at them. Man, that has some serious horror vibes right there. So what this infers is that they may not be as heinous and awful as one might picture them by nature, but they are playing it up because they know it's how they survive. Therefore, any kind of display of these are goblin territories is turned up to 11. It is getting heinous up in here. And if we did want to lean into that horror angle, this is where we've got the remains of, you know, people's arms are strung up from trees and, like, they've gone above and beyond for some shock and awe yeah. to make sure that people don't come near them. Leave us be. We'll leave you be. And this is how we're communicating that. Yeah. Which, for some reason, I like so much more than goblins get their rocks off by being violent. Yeah. And they make a much more empathetic bad guy. Somebody that you can empathize with, because if you can't, then they're just, they're a, an evil force of nature, which doesn't lend a lot to that believability, to being immersed within that story. Yeah. But this idea that these creatures have figured out that this is the only way that they can exist in this world does make them a little bit sympathetic. Yeah. And it allows you to go absolutely hog wild because they're doing it. For the awe factor, just like you're doing it for the awe factor. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it gives so much reason for things like, you know, if you Google goblin on the internet and you look up a whole bunch of photos, you've got goblins with bloody little handprints on their faces and they've, they're they adorned with all kinds of disgusting things. Mm -hmm. But it's not necessarily for them. It's for the show. Yeah, they're little, but they're using every tool to be as intimidating as possible. You know, it also gives a lot of rationale and reason to the story as to why they're so cruel to prisoners. This has just been established. And in D&D &D lore, 
they're just cruel because they're cruel. They're cruel because they're evil. Yeah. And they love to capture prisoners, take them back, put them to work, be awful to them, jab them with sticks in cages like they're just awful little shits. Yeah. But Dang, that... it feels good to poke eyeballs. Exactly. But it doesn't give me a reason. It, it doesn't. It's hard for me to contextualize evil for the sake of evil. Yeah. But in the event that this is mostly for show, if they were to capture a prisoner, bring it back to their lair, to wherever the rest of them are, jab them a bunch, be awful to them, but it's with the intention of their catch and release program. Yes. Which just says, villager, go back to town and spread word about how awful it is to be captured. And we're even going to let you think that you escaped. <laughs> just so that you go back and tell everyone not to come into these woods. But we'll make sure that you have no idea where the actual lair was still. Very Total. important. Oh, yeah. Knock them out or something like that. Yeah. And I think the catch and release thing that you mentioned is crucial there. Like, I don't even think goblins would want to get work out of people because, I don't know, I think of them kind of like cats. It seems like they're toying with their prey. Yeah. But the real reason for that is just so that they can reduce any chance of getting injured themselves. Hmm. They're keeping their prey at a distance. Yeah. So for goblins, I don't think they would take any chances when they bring people back to their lair. They would just terrify the shit out of them and get them out. 100%. Yeah. Steal all their stuff and move along. Yeah. We're not taking chances. And yeah, again, not letting anyone know where their lair is. I think they'd even go to some pretty extreme lengths. Like perhaps they've got some minor ability to cast the sleep spell. I picture it almost like a bag that they put over someone's head and then goblins can cast the sleep spell as a ritual, maybe just so it's not like an automatic thing. It's not a, a spell that you're actually giving the goblins. Well, you also have the cast system within the goblins and the cast system is all based on who is more skilled at certain abilities. So you could have, you know, one person able to cast sleep. Yeah. Or know how to make chloroform. <laughs> yeah. Or know how to put together a stink so foul that it knocks you out. <laughs> Maybe that's the that flavor. That feels a lot more like a goblin. <laughs> yeah, I think that pretty much covers the basics for how you can start to create some real goblin culture that still fits all of the preconceived notions of goblins. Yeah, like I feel like we haven't deviated too deep and we're still within the general lore and the vibe. The neighborhood yeah. of the established wizards of the coast lore here's the thing is that if we're going to inspire some fear in our players what we've just talked about is after they've met the goblins you don't get to learn any of this stuff unless you've encountered goblins but i would argue that a goblin encounter is not gonna go the way you think it is and it's not gonna end in a pleasant conversation <laughs> So let's get into the strategy stateroom and talk about how that encounter would probably go down. All right. This is the strategy stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. So here's my take on goblins. They are the cockroaches of D&D. &D. Yep, I like it. They're unkillable, 
and players should be hesitant to ever fight them. Just like I'm hesitant to squish a big cockroach that's running around. Exactly. That's nasty. Because at low level, they are so mega dangerous because they hide and they swarm. Low level adventurers should be so shit scared of goblins because they know that they pose a real threat. But at high level, at high level, they should be unsatisfying and still dangerous to higher level characters because you can never seem to kill the little bastards. <laughs> They're always so dodgy and so hidey. Yeah. And they work with such brilliant tactics that even high level adventurers, even though they don't pose a real threat in the damage terms, they are just so fucking annoying to fight. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think that's uh, about the greatest comparison you could create because when you see a single cockroach in your house, your thought isn't, oh, I'll just get rid of that one little pest. <laughs> you know that there's like 700 somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> They're all hiding in the shadows. And that this is not over. Now, we could spend a ton of time on the usual horror beats, and we were honestly very tempted to do so. If you're unfamiliar with what I'm talking about, the horror beats are a part of a series that we did called The Bones of Horror. And again, it's also a resource on hookandchance.com. You can go and download it there uh, and kind of catch yourself up. But we didn't necessarily want to spend a ton of time on that because goblins can be plunked into an adventure and the horror beats are kind of centered around an adventure. You should be able to drop goblins into any story that you're trying to tell. And if you want to do that, you can use those horror beats to do that. Yeah, they can be a very flexible antagonist group. They can be working with a, a more powerful antagonist. I mean, if you want a goblin-centric adventure, just go watch The Hills Have Eyes, like we talked about in the beginning. That is a goblin adventure. Yeah. But in order to really kind of break down how goblins would fight, the steps are that they would torture and test. Step two is hit hard and fast. Step three is they take prisoners, and step four, they escape. And I'm assuming this only applies when the goblins are setting the terms of the fight. Otherwise, they're out. Like, if goblins get cornered or surprised, they're out. They're 100%. Out. Yeah, like, why would they fight? Yeah. They can hide better than almost anyone, and they would scurry away until they have the upper hand, until they have the advantage. Yeah. Cool. So, torture and test. What are we talking about? Well, here's the thing. Just like you were kind of talking about with cats, cats go from the advantage. You know, they're hiding, they're stalking, they're hunting. And if you see a cat, chances are it's going to run away. Like, if yeah. you just see a cat out on the street, it's like, ah, shit, I've been spotted. I'm out. So, like cats... They also immobilize early. This is that whole pounce thing. So this is kind of shock and awe. Yeah, that's a good comparison too, because I was on a hike by myself at night once and I saw a couple of wild cats and then I realized that I was surrounded by about 30 cats. Excuse me? And alone? I wasn't worried about one cat. 
But as a group, I actually started getting very nervous. Where were you encountering wild cats? In Hawaii. Oh, I see. Feral <laughs> Hawaiian street cats. Yes. I did not realize they were all over the bushes. I mean, that's that's so perfect yeah. because you're right. Like a single cat, if it freaked out and started to claw you up, I mean, it's going to hurt. You're going to come away with some scratches, but you'll be okay. I could probably take that cat. Yeah. 30? Maybe not so much. <laughs> if they decide to come together, oh no. So they're going to use all of their masterful trap making abilities to weaken the party before they even know that they're facing goblins. Yeah, that makes sense. What I'm talking about here is trying to impose conditions on the party. Poisoned, blindness, being restrained, or generally just having their HP whittled down a little bit. Yeah, just trying to slow them down, like hampering their speed. I mean, blindness itself, you know, just that one means that they have the advantage and the party has the disadvantage. So if there's any way that they could do things like uh, make some kind of plate pressure trap on the road that puffs up a huge cloud of cayenne pepper. Yeah. Well, they're going to do that. <laughs> and these can even be like before the fight, right? Like these can be way down the road. Oh, yeah. I mean, who's to say that it was a goblin that released a pack of wild wolves, of starved, feral wolves. Yeah. And as soon as the party starts to wonder why the hell these animals keep showing up on the road, we had to spend some spells, so-and-so got, you know, their arms slashed, they had a couple of, well, we don't want to burn any of those healing spells quite yet, we still got a long way to go in this day. Yeah. If we can whittle the party down and soften them up a little bit, can I impose a gross idea? Uh-oh. Well, it's goblins, so they're trying to freak you out. Yeah. If I was planning a goblin poison trap, I'd have them just have a body hidden in the tree branches that they can drop on a on a command, Ugh. and it's full of spiders. Gross. <laughs> they come out and poison everybody. Yeah, that's that's plenty terrifying. Thanks. But, I mean, we can take this to any kind of ridiculous extreme. Like, we've got poison darts or poisoned caltrops just littered on the road. And who knows why they were there, but half the party stepped on them and now has the poisoned condition. Yeah, they could be hidden in the leaves for like a kilometer. We've got distractions. Again, to talk about a horror movie that I don't want to watch, The Hills Have Eyes, the party could absolutely be stringing up bodies and scaring the piss out of the party. Yeah. These are distractions. These lead the party and their attention to somewhere else while they go and weaken them. Maybe it's stealing their horses. Maybe it's setting their cart aflame. Yes, getting rid of their resources. Yeah, that's great. So basically anything that's going to tip the scales early. Before initiative is rolled. Then they're going to hit hard and fast. So if we're ever going to get players to a place where they don't laugh when they see a goblin or they don't go, oh, look at that, it's a goblin in the road. We want to get players to a place where if they see a single goblin, the hair stands up on their arms and they take cover and start to batten down the hatches because a Category 5 hurricane is about to hit them <laughs> and they know it. Where there's one, there's more, just like the cockroaches. So if a DM does this early, 
and teaches the players a hard lesson early, it means that future combats are going to be taken seriously. It means that you can have fun and just relax a little bit and throw all kinds of wild animals and wild beasts that you find in the monster manual. But if you hit them with a goblin, you know, the lowest level joke monster in the monster manual, and you do it really well, the players are going to look at every future encounter and go, oh, all right, you guys, we need to strategize. Yeah. This is serious. That's a really good point. Because if you go the opposite way and you make it too easy, then all of a sudden they see the beholder and they're thinking, all right, we can take it. And you need the players to understand that the world is full of dangers. Yeah. Otherwise, they're not heroic. Yeah. And they're not feeling any combat challenge, which is crucial. So that's where this is coming from, is the sense that we need the players to have some damned respect for the goblins (laughs) and combats in general so with that in mind we're gonna immobilize the toughest we're gonna make sure that the toughest is still alive because we don't want to go and sink all of our hits into just a giant sponge we just want to pin it where it is okay so we're gonna use stuff like traps like you know big ass you know clampy traps that are hard to get open while we're doing that, the goblins go for the weakest, and they start with the the one that looks the scrawniest, probably the caster, and they're, they've got an intelligence of 10. They, they can, can figure recognize. it out. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, I like the idea that the barbarian is constantly trying to dodge traps, cages, like <laughs> they're focusing a weird kind of fire on that person. Yeah, it's all some kind of restraint. Yeah. Like you've got nets, you've got bear traps, you've got grease pits, you've got anything that can just slow them down and keep them busy. Because if any one of them gets hit by that bastard, yeah, they know that they're going to get leveled. Totally. They also know that there's only a few others in a normal adventuring party that really pose a threat. And that's the rogue, you know, the rogue being able to hide just like they can probably on a similar kind of scope. So they're going to target on the rogue. They're also going to target on the casters because the casters are chaos incarnate. Yeah. Like if anything's going to turn the tide on the goblins, it's going to be a caster. They can't plan for a caster necessarily. And like you said, they know that any hit's going to decimate them. So they're never, ever, ever waiting around to get hit. They're running away and hiding and like using that cover. Well, exactly. They never have to get hit if they never are exposed. Like, why ever reveal your position and expose yourself? And granted, when an entire group of goblins is peppering the party mage with their short bows, well, as soon as you land a hit, your position is revealed. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you're staying there. You move and you hide again because as a goblin, you have that as a bonus action. Totally. And like, if any party member gets within i'd say 40 feet of you as a goblin you're moving anyways yeah yeah you're constantly on the move constantly hiding and constantly disengaging so exactly when one of its attacks gives away its location it simply uses its move and its hide as a bonus to simply rinse and repeat so another thing that i as a dm have done and neglected in the past is using cover So not only are these goblins hidden, 
but they're using cover to the best of their ability. So giving them half cover bumps their AC up to 17. And for three quarters cover, which I would argue is probably like the limit when using bows effectively. Yeah, I mean, you can give them full cover, but they'll use that whenever they can. But if they're going to be taking pot shots at you, chances are they've just got like three quarters cover. And to be fair, I think every goblin starting position is going to be from three quarters cover. Oh, yeah. They've had time to find the best spot. Well, if they're inside a bush hidden, then they've got a piece of wood in front of them that's giving them that cover yeah. inside the bush. Yeah. And they've totally. got a few spots because this is a common spot where they hold people up. <laughs> like they reset the traps and they get the next assholes that come through here. Yeah. And if they're shooting from three quarters cover, that's an AC of 20. They are not getting hit. Yeah. Which forces the party to contend with their traps that they're currently stuck in, be it a bear trap or a net trap, while they get peppered with arrows and because why reveal yourself or just keep switching your two hiding spots as a single goblin, that forces the party to have to go and seek the goblins out, which now you're on a mop-up crew and this could take forever yeah. to try to find them. So you retreat, you drop your valuable shit and you go. You know, just for their survivability, I was even thinking that initial bait goblin that you're talking about. Yeah. I would have either a fake bait goblin because no goblin wants to actually be the bait goblin or some like get out real quick trick. Like maybe there's a, a tunnel right there that the goblin scurries through or a catapult that launches them into a soft place in the woods that they've pre-planned. <laughs> like, why not? I love that. I'm yes. not staying here. I'm not leading you into the forest. They're great little engineers. Why couldn't they have escape catapults? Yeah. And going back to the bait, you're absolutely right. Goblins wouldn't risk themselves using themselves as bait. They grab one of their prisoners. So you've got the cleric that went missing three weeks ago from town that you've been sent to find. Well, found him. <laughs> they're found. They're tied to a stake. Yeah. And they're saying, help get me out of here. Yeah. I was almost thrown into a little bit of a tailspin when I tried to consider how would warg riders, you know, like goblins on wild wolven creatures called wargs. Yeah. How would they fight? I mean, they still wouldn't get close, would they? I wouldn't imagine so. Now, a warg has 50 feet of movement. So with that, if the warg doesn't take an attack just the goblin on its back does, then that warg can also disengage. Right. As its action. Yeah. Which means that you've got a ton of space to come in quick, hit, and get the hell out of there. They use those wargs to just move even faster because exactly. that's their one weakness is that they've only got 30 feet of movement. Now I'm just picturing a, a circle of warg-riding goblins that are all like 100 feet away from the party. <laughs> like, come get come get us. Yeah. <laughs> you can't. Exactly. So step three is they take prisoners. Ultimately, you're going to decimate your party by playing goblins this smart. They want some captives. The nice thing is, is that you don't have to have a TPK because you're going to play goblins a lot smarter, a lot more lethal, and a lot more cunning and clever. Right. So with this, we want to do 
all of the damage in the first half of the fight or on the offensive is non-lethal. Now, I know that that's not necessarily a thing in 5e, but what I'm talking about is that they're aiming away from vital organs. The party's barbarians' feet from the, <laughs> you know, the thigh down yeah. look like pin cushions. Trying to incapacitate. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Because we want those people. Yeah, fair enough. And then they only turn truly dangerous and truly lethal when they're in the latter half of the fight. So if the tides have turned and now they're on the defensive, then they get mega lethal. Right. Doesn't matter anymore. We got to survive. You got to put that cleric or that barbarian down. Yeah. Huh. Fair point. And making sure to include that in your combat descriptions is pretty important. It's all about giving them more information, letting them know what the goblins are up to in a in a way that they can figure out, not in a one goblin saying, we're going to take you prisoner. Well, exactly. And with that taking prisoner, because goblins are often used as kind of the entry-level monster or the low-level monster, you can still play them as dangerous and as deadly as you would if you were trying to take down a group of level 10s with a bunch of goblins. But here's the thing, is that you get to take them prisoner, <laughs> which means that the story is not over. They end up in some goblin camp, and now they have to escape. Yeah, that sounds like it gets into some fun. So what if things do get to that point where the goblins are really losing? Well, that leads right into step four, escape. So goblins would use any approach as opposed to death. And I had a lot of fun with this one. In the DM's mind, there's this idea of like, okay, so my my enemy has two phases of their combat. Yeah. The first one is offensive, and the second one is defensive, and this is what they're going to do, and then they escape. Mwahaha. <laughs> well, goblins have a lot more. They have six stages. Wow. Yeah. It's going to get a little, little hairy, a little <laughs> complex, but here we go. Step one is hide. You stay hidden. If you're on the defensive and you're trying to get out, you sit down like a quail in a bush and just stay hidden. If all of the goblins just simply disappear, it's going to take forever for the party to find them. Yeah, assume that they did get away, maybe. Exactly. Look like a rock. Plant. <laughs> Stage two is run. If they've been found, then they book it. They do their best to scurry away and rehide. If that's not an option, then on to step three, which is feign death, even if nothing hit them. <laughs> Here we go. I'm going to pitch myself off of this small embankment, and I'm going to pretend like I just died. I'm going to grab a stick, put it in my armpit, and go, <laughs> You know, something that's been rolling around in my mind kind of helps support this. We were talking about goblins being kind of like cats. And I was thinking about all the physical contortions cats can make. <laughs> <laughs> like goblins can make themselves look real dead. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They they writhe around. They really put on a show. Their bones work a little differently than humans. Now, here's where we get into the next stage. Now, we've talked about their survivalist bent. We've talked about how important it is for them to survive at almost any cost. Yeah. Now you've got a trapped vest. They're wearing little tiny 
uh, you know, like those traps that we were talking about, the cayenne pepper trap planted yeah. in the road. Well, they've got one underneath their shirt and they're ready <laughs> to set it off at any time right in the face of the adventure that tries to grab them. Nice. Yeah, why not? That could be a, doesn't just have to be a cayenne pepper trap. You could put all kinds of things in that vest. That's totally. good. The fifth one is surrender. And that is, you know, throw your arms up, give in, because that buys you a little bit of time because you've always got step six, which is just escape. Right, and start over. Well, they're so good at escaping. They've got the feature nimble escape. They can use the disengage as a bonus action, and they can wriggle out of almost anything. They've yeah. got a really high dex, so they're used to being taken prisoner. If they ever get the opportunity, they know that there will be a future that they escape <laughs> and get back to camp. Yeah. Try to gain a little trust if you need to. I like that step five, which is, you know, they'll say anything. <laughs> they'll agree with anything. Surrender. Yep, I'm surrendering. You can do what you want. I'll tell you any lies I need to tell you. They'll walk right into the cage that you've prepared for them if they know that they can't do any one of the other steps yeah. before it. They'll just be like, yep, you got me. Here I go. Here, I'll put the chains on myself. And I even like how this ties into what we were talking about with false layers, because, oh, yeah, you want me to lead you to the goblin lair? Sure, sure, sure. Let's go. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Like cockroaches they are. <laughs> I've definitely got an idea of how truly challenging and frustrating in the right kind of ways a goblin encounter could be. Yeah, I mean... I don't think they are going to be anything but horror-filled for me for now on. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be anything but horrific little beasties from now on. Yeah. They're going to be truly terrifying to my players. And the animal comparisons really help. Cats and cockroaches. <laughs> well, speaking of cockroaches, the other thing that comes in swarms that we're grateful for is our wonderful patrons. And a big welcome to our newest patron, Stephen Van C. Thank you very much, Stephen. In addition to him, we have Alan E., Matthew T., Felix R., Chris F., The Senate, Lucas D., Lila G., The GM Tim, Nevermore, Thomas W., Tyler G., Ty N., Heavy Arms, Eric R., Aldrost, Leprechaun, and Will H.P., Thank you all so much. We really hope you enjoyed this episode and that we lived up to your expectations for what we can do with some damn goblins. Yes. Hopefully something sparked in your minds. If you have a great story of how you've used goblins in either a horror capacity or just in general and that you are proud of the encounter that you put together for your very deadly goblins, we would love to hear it. Because we know you have them. Come on. Everyone's got a cool goblin story. Lay it on us. Thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects you heard in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Reddit. You can also join an awesome community of players and DMs that we love joining for great discussions on our Discord. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, listening and, and beware the cat roach. It is a fearsome.